Man, it is so, so good to be back. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Gary, and uh, it is good to be back uh, with you, worshiping. And uh, man, you know God created us. This is not a part of the sermon. This is free of charge, okay? God created us. You're a new creation in Christ. He created us for the gathering. He created us so that our soul breathes when we gather together as the family of God and just with all of our heart and all of our soul and mind and spirit, we worship the living God. And that's what we have done. And if there is something that has been stirring inside of your heart, let me tell you what that is. That is the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit that you are made to worship. And you know, we're also made to gather, to gather and, and, and hear God's word proclaimed, and that's what we're about to do as well. But before I dive into the text and the message that God's put on my heart, I just want to say thank you. Every July, you guys give me the privilege and the opportunity to take a couple of weeks of vacation, which I did, and it was awesome, and then a couple of weeks of study break, and that's where I just get to sit and read and, and just really, you know, in preaching, you kind of pour out and in reading you just it's God pouring in and I just always come back so full and I'm just thinking it's already 11:30, but you don't mind going five or ten minutes long I know amen uh, okay okay yeah that wasn't very enthusiastic but I just you know I'm just telling you uh God just works when you have a little bit of distance and you're just pouring in and you're just listening. And, and I want to tell you, uh, there's so many things that God put on my heart. I, I took about 45 minutes to share it with the staff this past week. But, but one of the things that God has put on my heart is just uh, the significance of, the importance of, the priority of prayer. And even as I say that word, some of you, I just lost you, but I'm begging you, don't, don't, don't tune out. I just, let me make my case. And then over lunch, you can say, man, a month, I thought he'd come up with something better than that. I mean, you can do that at lunch, but not yet, okay? I'm just asking you to just hang in here with me in this idea of prayer. Here, here's a reality. You and I, were created by God to have relationship with God. And the reality is God calls us to be co-laborers with him. And one of the ways that we labor with God is in prayer. And there are some things that God does in response to our prayers that he would not do otherwise. There's a book that I read this summer. How to Hear God. It's by Pete Gregg. I read uh, the, the book that was before that, that he wrote prior to that, How to Pray. And I read that last summer and I shared that with some of you. And just as a reminder, because I'm gonna be asking you to join me in just deeper levels of prayer this fall. But, but let me make my case. Don't tune me out yet, okay? Just, just not yet. But, but he makes the case for just praying, using the Lord's Prayer as the, the kind of outline. 
And using the acrostic pray, P-R-A-Y, pray, pause when you enter into the presence of God. You can go read the book. I'm not going to go into depth on this. I'm just reminding you of really what I read last summer. And then R, rejoice. You spend some time rejoicing. You're my father. You're in heaven. You're Lord and God. You are large and in charge. You are sovereign. The world's not spinning out of control. It's actually falling into place. And so you spend some time rejoicing. Hallowed be your name, thanking God for what he's done in your life. And then you spend time asking God, let your kingdom come. Let you just let your, your reign, your rule come over my tongue today. Come over my thoughts today. Come, come reign over my marriage today. Reign in my relationship with my parents. Reign in my relationship with my kids, my friends. Reign at the office. Let your kingdom come. You're asking God. And then you get to ask, Lord, give us this day, our day bread and you get to ask God for your needs and then you spend time yielding Uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us lead me not into temptation but deliver me from the evil one and here's something that Pete Gregg wrote that just stirred in my heart this summer throughout history whenever God was about to do a new thing he first mobilized his people to pray And he is currently doing so on an unprecedented scale. I want this to be a little bit interactive, so I want to ask you yes or no. Does it make sense? I'm not even asking you if you believe it. I'm just saying, does it make logical sense that before God would do something significant among his people, that he would call his people to pray? Does that make logical sense, yes or no? Uh, Think about this fall. I can, I can assure you, man, it's just jam-packed. We're, we're just next Sunday, next gen Sunday, we're gonna be listening to stories of what God has done and looking at what God is, we're asking God to do this fall. And then we're gonna start a series, what is true? And we're gonna look at, is the Bible true? Can we trust it? Can we believe in the Bible and science? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? We're gonna look at even then gender identity. Did God create male and female? Is, is it really true that, that actually gender is fixed, not fluid. I mean, we're going we're gonna to spend time this fall speaking truth to culture. We're going to be doing some very, very significant things. Our focus is going to continue on making disciples where every one of us embraces the call of God to be involved, co-laborers in the Great Commission, and that is asking God to give us boldness to talk to those who are far from Jesus and make disciples by sharing the gospel and then sticking around and baptizing those who are becoming disciples and then sticking around and teaching those who have become disciples and been baptized how to actually follow Jesus because just because we become a follower doesn't mean we know how to follow So we have to teach people how to follow. All of that's coming this fall. But listen to me. As we think about this fall, it's not a matter of just packing out a calendar. May we keep in mind the words of the psalmist. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If you believe those words, would you say amen with me right now? And he goes on to say, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And let's remember the words of the psalmist. Then he said to me, this is the the words of the prophet. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If we want God to do that which is extraordinary in our midst this summer, we're gonna have to ask God 
We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to cry out to God together as a people of God. God, I'm asking you to wake me up to who you are and to who I am. And you, God, I'm asking you to wake my kids up, wake my parents up, wake my friends up at school, wake my neighbors up, wake, wake my coworkers up to who you are. God, I'm asking you to do a work in my soul and in the lives of the people around me. We're going to have to pray if we wanna see God do something in the midst of our activities this fall. So if you ask me, Gary, is there just, as you come back, is there just one thing that God has put on your heart as a, as a huge burden? Again, I unpacked 45 minutes of stuff that God put on my heart to the staff this week. But if you ask me to boil it down to one thing, here's what I'd say. And I'm asking you to just sit with this for a moment. When you move from wishing for God to do something to praying for God to do something. See, when we move from just wishing to actually asking, from wishing to actually praying, that most often is when God actually does something. Uh, let's look at the first part of that. When we move from uh, wishing to actually praying, wishing to asking. I mean, I, here's something we need to keep in mind. It's not enough to just wish for a miracle. Uh, we learned that from a guy named Bartimaeus, he was blind, and we, we read his story in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10, and, and normally I'd get you to stand, and I'd remind you that by standing, we're saying, God, we're standing because we believe your word is our authority for what we believe, faith, and for what we do, practice, but, but I, I want, I've got a lot I want to unpack, so I'm just going to ask you to stay seated, but, but follow along as I read these words, and I want us to think on the experience of Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. You go, Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What an intriguing question. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. What I want you to catch is first, Bartimaeus didn't sit by the side of the road wishing for a miracle. He asked Jesus for a miracle. Did you catch that? But he cried out all the more. You see, the crowd, when Bartimaeus was crying out, and probably even the disciples, they just wanted Bartimaeus to be quiet. They wanted Bartimaeus to understand, Bartimaeus, you are far too insignificant, and Jesus is far too important for him to take time for someone like you. He is not going to listen to your prayers. Don't you understand, Bartimaeus? Jesus has declared that he is the Messiah. Don't you even understand what that means? 
means Jesus is coming back to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. He is going to rebuild the temple and establish the presence of God on earth. And he is going to defeat all of the enemies of God, starting with Rome. And he is going to establish justice on earth. And there will be no more poverty or disease or blindness, Bartimaeus. Would you just be quiet? Because your needs are not as important as what Jesus is up to. So we're going to need you to stay silent. But Bartimaeus, look what he does. Cried out all the more. May that be said of you and may that be said of me this fall when our calendar says you don't have time to cry out. When the enemy says it's not going to do any good to cry out because you're too insignificant and Jesus is too important to pay attention to someone like you. May we cry out all the more when that inner voice inside of us says it's not going to do any good to cry out because you've cried out before. You've asked God before. You've prayed about this before and it didn't make any difference. It's going to do about as much good as throwing a penny into the wishing well. May we, this fall, be like blind Bartimaeus and not listen to that inner voice of the enemy or the crowd. And may we cry out all the more. Notice what Jesus did in response to Bartimaeus' prayer. He stopped, he listened, he heard. He invited Bartimaeus to come to him And then notice what Jesus said. What do you want me to do for you? Let's step into the shoes of Bartimaeus for a moment. See, I can honestly, this is eisegesis, by the way, so listen really carefully. Eisegesis means your your pastor's about to start reading into the text. Exegesis is when you're drawing out of the text, and and I feel a lot better and a lot more confidence with exegesis. But I said, Jesus, let's, let's try to get into Bartimaeus's mind for a moment. I can imagine when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, Bartimaeus has gotten up. He's, he's come over to Jesus. We don't know if he used a cane or a seeing eye dog or if people led him by the hand. But I can imagine in that moment, Bartimaeus just feeling so much frustration because I can guarantee you this is not the first time Bartimaeus had asked God to heal him. The first time that he had cried out, God, please give me my sight. God, why me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Not the first time. And now he has an audience with Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? I can imagine the frustration. And I can imagine the crowd being a little bit skeptical. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. And you just told us you're the Messiah? God the Son? And here's a blind man standing right before you. We figured if anyone in the crowd knew uh, what Bartimaeus wanted, it would be you. Maybe you're just a fraud. I mean, seriously, are you telling us, Jesus, you don't know what he wants? I can imagine even his disciples being a little bit embarrassed. Jesus, he's blind. Are, Are you just distracted? Did you not see him? Are you just exhausted Jesus, are you just on autopilot? You know he's blind. He wants you to heal him. So my question is this. No doubt Jesus knew what Bartimaeus wanted. So why did Jesus ask the question, what do you want me to do for you? Here's the answer, I believe. 
Because Jesus expects us to move from wishing to asking. And I love Bartimaeus. Because even though he had cried out to God a thousand times for healing, Bartimaeus is undaunted, he's unperturbed, he is desperate, and he is willing to cry out yet again. If that's what Jesus wants is for him to cry out, he'll cry out. And so look what he does. He prays, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Bartimaeus made the ask again. Bartimaeus prayed. Bartimaeus didn't settle for sitting on the sidelines and wishing for a miracle. He asked Jesus for a miracle. He ignored the inner voice. He ignored the crowd. He ignored the enemy who said, It's not gonna do any good to pray. May we learn from Bartimaeus, it's not enough to sit silently in the crowd wishing for a miracle. If you believe that, would you just say amen to that statement? When you move from wishing for God to do something to asking for God to do something, that's when God does something. Because God expects us to ask. God expects us to articulate our specific needs. Listen to something Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote. You go, who's he? The greatest preacher of the 1800s in England. Listen to these words. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. Uh, Don't read ahead, stay with me on this one a second, okay? Asking is the rule of the kingdom. In other words, the way God designed the kingdom to work, the way God designed life in the kingdom to work is that you and I have to ask. Now listen to what he says. If the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking, did Jesus, God the son, pray to God the father? Yes or no? And so that was weak, come on. Did Jesus pray to his Father in heaven, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. And so was Jesus exempted from the rule of asking? No. And so notice what he's saying. This is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. If the royal and divine Son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot be, we cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favor. If you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. God expects us to ask. Why? Because God is more interested in a relationship with you than he is in dispensing blessings to you. Now, lest you misunderstand that, let me clarify that. God is more interested in a relationship with you than he is in just dispensing blessings to you. God has no desire to be your genie in a bottle granting your three wishes. The eternal God created you so that you could enter into community with him, have relationship with him. And one of the ways this side of heaven that he invites you to enter into relationship with him is to enter into conversation with him, asking, not sitting on the sideline wishing for a miracle, but asking him for one. The truth is he is inviting you to take his hand, not just a handout. The story is told of Alexander the Great. That one of his generals came to him and made a unique request. He said, my daughter is getting married and I'm asking you, would you be willing to pay for my daughter's wedding? Amazingly, Alexander the Great in in just this uh, move of generosity agreed to do so. He said, yeah, I'll pay for your daughter's wedding. The general, according to the story, and I believe it because it fits my sermon, so this is absolutely a true story. 
Alexander the Great granted the request. Alexander the Great granted the request, and and, and so the general spared no expense. According to the story, he planned the most extravagant, expensive wedding anyone in the land had ever seen for his daughter. An aide was so alarmed, the aide came to Alexander the Great and said, hey, the general is planning this extravagant wedding. It's incredibly expensive. He is taking advantage of you. And Alexander the Great told his aide, grant his request in full. The aide said, why? Why are you doing that he's taking advantage of you and Alexander the Great responded he pays me two compliments by his requests number one he believes I'm rich enough to afford his request and number two he believes I'm generous enough to grant it See, when we move from just sitting on the sidelines wishing for God to do something unique and above and beyond all that we could expect or ask here at the Heights and in our midst this fall, we are paying God this incredible compliment because we are declaring, God, we believe you are mighty enough and powerful enough to move in our midst. And we believe you are loving and gracious enough that you will actually be willing to do so. God is far more capable and far more willing to work mightily in you and through you and around you than you could ever imagine. He is more than willing and capable to wake someone up around you who doesn't know Jesus to who Jesus is. He is more than willing and more than capable in your own life to give you freedom in that area where sin has you captive and hiding out in shame. He is more than willing and more than able to work a miracle in the midst of your need, but the reality is God waits for us to ask. So I'm inviting you this fall to join me in deeper levels of prayer, asking God to work uniquely in our lives. Because when we move from wishing for God to do something to asking God to do something, let's look at the final part. God does something. It's been said, prayer does not control God. Think about that. Prayer does not control God. Just because you pray doesn't mean that now God is a puppet and you can make him do whatever you want. Prayer does not control God, but prayer does influence God. Do you believe that? Before you answer, listen to the words of Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's gonna be given to you. He says, no, 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 it'll be given to you in response to your asking. Uh, Seek and you will find. He doesn't say you're just automatically gonna find what you're looking for, but he says, no, when you seek, then in response, you will find what you're looking for. Knock and it will be opened to you. He doesn't say that which you want opened up is just automatically gonna open up. It opens up in response to us knocking on the doors of heaven. Paul tells us in these words, We are God's fellow workers. God is saying to us, I'm inviting you to labor with me in the work of the kingdom this fall. But we're gonna do it together or it's not gonna happen. Blaise Pascal uh, wrote these words that are some of the most profound words on prayer that I've ever read in my life. God has instituted prayer to impart to his creatures the dignity of causality. I want you to just memorize those words, dignity of causality. 
See, when you pray, what God is doing is he is giving you the dignity of causality. That is, he is letting you participate in that which is going to happen. Another way to put that is there are some things that won't happen because you didn't ask God to to make it happen. And there are some things that will happen simply because you did ask. The reality is that means our future is not set. There are things in your life that that they're not automatically set. They can change because God has the power to change them when you and I ask him to. Now, a needed caveat is this. We cannot override the free will choice that other people make. You're praying for God to work in somebody else's life, for God to set them free from an addiction, for God to save them, uh, for God to heal their marriage. Here's the reality. We cannot override the free will choice that other people make, but we can influence those choices through prayer. Do you believe that? That when you pray in response to your prayer, God actually begins to work in the life of someone else and you literally have a role with God. You are co-laboring with God to impact the direction of somebody else's life. God imparts to us the dignity of causality through prayer. Richard Foster puts it this way. We are co-laborers with God, working with God to determine the outcome of events. The point being, we can't just sit on the sidelines and expect God to do all the work this fall. We have to co-labor with him. Let me give you a silly illustration. I want you to imagine you go to watch your favorite team play. I don't know who it is. Right now, for me, it's the Texas Rangers. Now, let me admit, I haven't watched a single game this season. I haven't been to a single game this season, but I am a huge Texas Rangers fan because they are winning, so I am solidly on the bandwagon. I have a Texas Rangers cap that I've had for 20 years I got it the last time they played in the World Series, and I haven't worn it since because they haven't won since. But if they make it to the World Series, I'm gonna break the cap out and I'm gonna wear it again because I'm right now just in love with the Texas Rangers. I don't know who you're in love with. Maybe your team is the Baylor Bears, UT, I don't know, A&M, you name it. Just here's the point. You go to the game. You're in the stands. You got your popcorn, you got your hot dog, you got your Coke. And the game is about to start. The other team takes the field. But amazingly, your team, your favorite team, the team that you sacrifice for and cheer for, they are sitting on the bench and they stay on the bench even when the game starts. And it's not just at the start of the game. The reality is your team stays on the bench the entire game and they end up forfeiting the game. Now I want you to imagine that your team is so crazy that at the end of the game, when they are declared the losers of the game, they turn around and blame the coach for the loss. Or they blame the refs for the poor refereeing, for the loss. Or get this, they turn around and they blame you, the fans. Because the fans didn't cheer loudly enough or enthusiastically enough. We would call our favorite team crazy, right? And yet, here's the reality. God says to us, you're co-laborers with me. And you can't sit on the sidelines and expect that I'm going to do the work this fall. 
You've got to join with me in laboring. How do we join with God in laboring? We join with laboring in prayer. We join with laboring in obeying the teaching of God's word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We join with God in co-laboring by sharing the gospel with those who are far from Jesus and making a disciple. We join with God in co-laboring by baptizing those who are coming to faith. We join with God in co-laboring by then teaching those who are coming to faith in Jesus how to actually follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, you've got to co-labor with me. And one of the first and most important ways that we co-labor is through prayer. We are co-laborers with God, not just laborers for God. So here's what we're saying. When we move from wishing for God to do something to asking for God to do something, God does something. And I know even as I say that, Some of you are so discouraged this morning in prayer. You didn't even wanna listen to the sermon. And some of you didn't. Go listen to it online. (laughs) And those of you who are listening online, God bless you. But let me read to you something that a guy named Tim Chester wrote that may, may just be used of the Spirit of God to encourage you in prayer. Prayers we think of as directed to the present are in fact being stored up to be answered on the final day. Let me tell you where he's going with this. He is telling you there's no wasted prayer. There's actually no unanswered prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's just later. But listen to this. This is so encouraging. When we pray for those suffering ill health, we are expressing our longing for the day when there will be no sickness. My mother passed away in 2020, uh, had basically dementia, cried out so many times that God would heal her of her dementia. Did God not answer those prayers? I'm telling you, God answered those prayers abundantly above all that I could ever ask or experience. If I got to see my mom right now, I would be saying, wow, God, that healing was beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. When we pray for God to end wars and oppression, we are expressing our longing for the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. You've been hearing about New York and the riots in New York. My daughter and her husband live in New York and their apartment looks out over Union Square. Guess where the riots were? In Union Square. And I'm praying, God, protect them. God, would you just end wars and end riots and, and bring about justice and, and, and remove injustice in our world? And the reality is, even though God may not answer that prayer today, the truth is he is going to answer that prayer above and beyond all that we could expect or think. When we pray for mercy on those suffering natural disasters, we are expressing our longing for the day when creation itself will be remade. The prayers, we think, have gone unanswered may in fact be stored up in the bowls of incense held by the 24 elders waiting for a greater fulfillment than we ever anticipated. Many of your prayers are lodged there and one day they will determine the ultimate course of history. We talk a lot about 5Gs. You and I were made to be saved by grace and live by grace. We're, We're made for this gathering, but we're made to grow. And that's what we're talking about today. 
And I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, would you join me this fall in growing your prayer muscle? You go, Gary, what what would that look like exactly? Let me suggest this. Get the book, How to Pray by Pete Gregg. Uh, That will help you a ton. Uh, But but just if you want the, the Cliff Notes version, just use the Lord's Prayer as an outline. Use the acrostic, pray, pause, rejoice, ask, yield. Shoot for seven, hit five days a week where this fall you just are reading God's word and sitting with God's word and listening to the spirit of God and then you're responding in obedience to what God is saying. You are praying. Some of you are going, Gary, what do I pray about? Well, the burden that that Bartimaeus had was he was blind and he wanted his sight. What is the burden that God has given you? Is it something personal? Is it something in your family? Is it something in this community? Is it something in this church? Pray about that thing that you're burdened about and just enter into, don't settle for sitting on the sidelines wishing for a miracle. Start praying every day. Shoot for seven, hit five days a week that you begin to pray about that for which you are burdened. And let me ask you this. Who's your one? Who's that one person who is far from God that, that desperately needs to hear the gospel? Would you begin to pray for your one? Pray for your burden and pray for your one. Would you join me in praying for God to do that which is extraordinary among us this fall? Trace is gonna come and close out our time together and my encouragement to you is that you and I might pray rather than just wish for God to do something. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for just the invitation to be a co-laborer with you, to not sit on the sidelines And then blame you, the coach, blame you, the ultimate ref, the ultimate judge, or blame the fans. Lord, may we get off of the sidelines and co-labor with you in prayer. And Lord, as we do, as we pray about that burden, as we pray about our one, would you, would you do that which is extraordinary among us this fall? I pray it in Jesus' holy name, amen.